0: Alrighty, well, good morning, New Life Manitou. Hey, uh, would you guys stand with me for the scripture reading today? Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second there. <laughs> Just like blanked entirely. Today's reading's from 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint me the one, or you to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema Shema and pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Would you stand
1: with me as we pray? Lord, we stand here facing the cross and thanking you for this morning, and Lord, we we say and we know that if you're not here, Lord, um, we should just all go home, Lord, but we know that you are here Your presence is here. The cross is center. And Lord, we love you. We love your ways. Lord, open this story to us that we might know your heart and your spirit that's inside of us. We praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's people shouted. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for coming. I got here. early this morning to check on the plowing and to salt things and put out the signs, check the roads, make sure we're still going to have church. And uh, something kind of cool happened. I was, I, I, to get the signs out, I had a, there's a storage closet back there and I had to to get the cross out. I thought I'll bring the cross up. And so early while it was still dark and silent in here, I just made my way with the cross to the front and just was overwhelmed with the spirit and, and God's grace and just thought everything is about the cross like we're going to talk about David today and Samuel and the old testament but it all points to the cross and the forgiveness of Jesus. And so I just wanted to, to, to remind us of that. I was reminded this morning in the wee hours uh, coming here, it's like, oh, it's all about the cross. See, our society, we live in a, in a world that's not all about the cross. I think about our society, and I think it's all about one of the things, unfortunately, that it's all about is fame and celebrity stuff. And uh, there was this poll that I heard of uh, amongst our teenagers in America. So what do you guys want? Like teens, like if you could have anything out of life, what do you want? And number one out of all the responses was, I want to be famous. And I think Man, that's, especially young people, young people that become famous, we probably all have, uh, like what happens is a train wreck of a young life if they become famous, and we see drugs and alcohol and, and mental health issues, and just a train wreck of a life, it seems like it's the the scenario that just happens it seems like it's a disease like someone gets famous early on and they just their life just falls apart there's a quote if i said the the there's an actor and he's famous if i said his name you'd all know who he is he's played in movies and shows and supposedly i think he's a very strong christian he's a strong christian believer and he quoted someone a, a pastor a couple of weeks ago saying that what's inside of him he says the most important thing is the light that's inside of him and he's referring to jesus which is a beautiful thing says, if the light inside of you isn't brighter than the spotlight shining on you, then the spotlight shining on you will kill you. It will destroy you. And you have to have that light that's inside of you. And he went on to... Basically, present the gospel in this little uh, back and forth interview. I just thought it was really cool, and I was reminded that because we're going to talk about David. David is a very young man. He's anointed king, becomes very famous. Next week, we'll talk about his battle with Goliath, and the whole country begins singing songs about him. How awesome he, he becomes famous, and yet there's this light inside of David, the spirit shining in David's heart, that he is able, with God's help, to overcome the. Disease disasters that usually befall famous people. And even when he messes up, we'll get to that story too later in this sermon series, he is very quick to repent and say he's sorry and come back to the Lord. So this sermon has, are you ready for this? Four points. Why no? It's a big change from the normal three. Uh, it'll move kind of quick, and the first point—it's uh, almost like a side point, but an important one. It's—it's going to be about grieving because because the this story starts off with the Lord talking to Samuel about his grief. So we'll talk about grieving very, very briefly, and then get into this idea of David and who he was. We'll talk about uh, the overlooked, how God chooses the overlooked, and I think that's going to encourage us. We'll talk about point number three is uh, what a heart after God looks like. And point number four will be uh, the spirit of the Lord filling David and, and him going and being empowered, just like we can be filled with the Lord's spirit and going and being empowered. So point number one about this grieving thing, I worded it like this, God will give you a new song. This is a quote from, uh, amongst other things, Psalm 40, where it says, a way to patience for the Lord. He's going to lift us up out of the pit, out of the mud and mire. He's going to put a new song in our mouth. The Lord will give us a new song. Here's how 1 Samuel 16 starts. The Lord said to Samuel, so Samuel's our hero. He's our prophet. He's the one that did anoint Saul. And then they have this conversation where he unanoints Saul, like you're no longer going to be king. And so the Lord said to Samuel in verse 1, How long will you mourn for Saul? The Lord says that in his love. Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, and then he says, here's what you need to do. You need to go. You need to be a part of my work. Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen chosen one of his sons to be king. This is the Lord's, in the Lord's love, he's telling Samuel, okay, this this time, you know, he actually doesn't say, stop your grieving. He doesn't say, stop your belly aching. That's not the love of the Lord. He just says, how long? And here's some work you need to do. You're no longer, you no longer need to be debilitated by mourning and fear, but you need to go and you need to do the work of the Lord. I think as a pastor, I I get to, it's an honor to, to be with people during times of grief, hard times. And as a pastor, it's never my role to say, well, well now your, t- your time of grieving should be over. Like every, everyone is very different when it comes to grieving. But my role is to say, well, the time of grieving, you know, that it's going to come to some sort of conclusion. Uh, it, it may be ongoing, but you're going to get a new song. That's the, that's the, you're going to get a new, and the song might look different it might be a sad song, but it, you're gonna get a new song that the Lord is gonna put in you and there is more work of the Lord to do. Think about Linda and John. I'm gonna honor you guys, don't worry. Uh, Linda was just up here doing our offering moment. They have a grief ministry. You should ask them uh, about their uh, their story and it's it's a beautiful one where the Lord has taken them from a time of grieving into a time of healing and in now into a time of giving to others. They just wrote a book called When the uh, Sparrow Sings And it's this, I thought about this point, um, thinking about that book. I've been reading a chapter a day or two, and it's about how the Lord will give us a new song. Even in our grief, even in our fear, the Lord will lift us up for his work, and we will get a new song. And that's the case for Samuel here. He gets, uh, the Lord tells him, um, how long are you going to mourn? Because I have some work to, for you to do. Go out, anoint another king. A new song is being written, and I'm going to open your mouth, and you're going to sing it and be a part of this. So that's point one. A quick point. Point number two is is really the heart of this sermon. So it is this. I wrote it this way. God chooses the overlooked, the forgotten, the hidden. Is that good news? Is anybody in here ever feel forgotten, hidden, overlooked, like everybody else has it all together. Everybody else has has a, something to do. Everyone else, um, I think about uh, as kids, I was uh, usually the kid that that wasn't chosen. I was I was born in August, and so I was, I was like a year behind uh, other kids, and so I was the short kid, the kid that was like, a, you know, I guess, you know, I pick so-and-so, I pick so-and-so, and I'll be the last one. It's like, well, Joe's got to play. He's just standing here. I guess he'll be on your team. No, he's on your team. No, he wants to be. It was it just, you it know, enough of those experiences in life to just be like, yeah, I guess sports isn't my thing. Um, that's okay. But I think this sermon is one. It was a reminder that these are the people, the us's, that the Lord picks. Look at verse four. It says, um, just kind of uh, per, drawing the, the picture here, painting the picture of what's going on. Verse four said, Samuel did what the Lord said, which was to fill his oil, horn with oil, a container for with literal oil, to go to anoint a new king. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town, they trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And then they say, yes, I come in peace. I'm here to sacrifice. I'm here to meet Jesse, who has a bunch of sons, and I'm gonna anoint one of those sons to be king. It's like, wow. Wow! What an honor! What a, the most important thing to ever happen to this little family of Jesse and in the town of Bethlehem. Wow! The prophet is here, and he is going to anoint a king. And Jesse has how many sons? Eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have four sons, and that's that's a, that's a lot of sons. Eight is a lot of sons. He has eight sons. He gets them all lined up. Uh, Actually, there's one missing. Of course, the one missing is... David, he's the littlest one, he's the runt, he's the one that doesn't get picked. I have a theory um, about why he, I have two theories. The first theory is that he's just like forgotten, like literally like, okay, we got all the sons, one, two, three, yeah, yeah, oh wait, we're missing somebody, Fido, the dog, we get the dog over here, okay, yeah, we got everybody. Like, was he literally, like, we don't know, it doesn't say, but was he literally forgotten, like, oops, like I had an eighth son? Uh, I have another theory that I'll present uh, that's a little more encouraging in a second. But this scene, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to paint a picture of this scene. Bear with me. I'm gonna indulge a little bit, and and uh, but it's it's a wild scene where these seven sons, because uh, David's not there, are paraded like literally. They're brought in front of Samuel and shown off for Samuel. And Samuel to each one is like, no, not this one. The first of the three uh, is named Eliab. Is the first son. He's strong, and it says he he's tall again with the tall thing like like what's the deal and and he's like i just imagine like he's flexing for Ugh, however you flex. He's flexing for Samuel. He's peacocking around. It's like a Mr. Israel pageant. And I just picture this seed. He's showing off. and It's like, wow, here's a strong dude. He, surely, he's the oldest. He needs to be king. And he's not. And the next son, he, he's named Abinadab. And maybe he's like, he's got it all together. He's doing this circus trick. He's like got hoops. That's his talent. He's got hoops. He's juggling. He's quoting scripture and 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 he's like wow this guy, he's got it all together. He's smart. He's talented. Of course, he's the king. And it's like, no, this isn't the one. And then the third son is named Shema. I think. Sh- How'd you say it, Dan? He said Um, He's maybe coming out singing and dancing. He's like singing old old, old hymns from the Old Testament, like Miriam's song, the horse and the rider. And, and he's good. He's singing. Everybody's like, wow, this guy's confident. He's he's good. He can entertain. He can do it all. Sure he should be king. And it's like, no, not this one. The voice of the Lord says this, verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at these things that the people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, what's it say? Looks at the heart so we'll get to this point in a minute, but first some encouragement here. This this is something we see again and again throughout the Bible. It's something that really, it points to the cross. It's um, I'm thinking about like in this world that we live in, there are saints in this room in Manitou that are quietly doing the work of the Lord, faithfully doing the work of the Lord, and, and they don't have the, the, the followers, they don't have the physical appearances, they don't have the, the riches, they don't have the cool. Factor, but they are the ones who are going to be the saints. They are the going to be the ones the Lord chooses to do His work and His will, and and it's something we should be encouraged about. Looking at the New Testament, this is the point I'm making. Paul makes it for the Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter one, uh, verse twenty-seven. I'm, I imagine you've heard this before. It's a beautiful passage, but the Lord chose the foolish things of the world. Boast in the Lord. So, this show, to, to recap here, point two uh, about who the Lord chooses, it's often not the ones that would win the Mr. Israel contest. It's not the ones who have it seemingly all together. Here's what happens the, the, the Lord is going to choose someone who is faithfully obedient. Point three is this in this sermon. And it's 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 what I'm gonna. It's what the Lord refers to David as. The Lord refers to him previously, not in this passage. It's gonna be uh, a man after God's own heart, or a person after God's own heart. Point three is this: a person after God's heart is faithfully obedient in the same direction for a long time. This is the heart of God. I think we often think about the big things, the, the things that make a bunch of attention, the, the huge, the awesome. And then there's the week to week, the day to day. There's church when there's a snowstorm, kind of weekly faithfulness. And I think the Lord is in that. It's this faithfulness of God, this obedience that David has. And this is why he's called a man or a person after God's own heart. Here's the recap. Verse 8 of this chapter, it's pretty much the story I just kind of embellished. It says, then Jesse called Aminadab, had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shemiah pass by, but Samuel said this, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. Imagine his confusion, like I'm supposed to anoint one and Uh, He's not here. So we asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? No. Think about like, there's seven sons. Like that's the number of completion. Surely one of them is here. They're they're strong. These guys are mighty. These guys, any one of them in the physical, in the worldly, probably could have been king. But no, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending sheep. Same as said. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So what's David doing? He's tending sheep. The the phrase came to my mind, bloom where you're planted. He's out faithfully serving While his brothers get to be a part of this pageant show, and are flexing around and peacocking, David is faithfully, quietly serving as a shepherd, and the Lord says, don't judge by mere appearances. The Lord is going to look at the heart. He's out tending to the sheep. He's doing his work. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Um, I have this in my mind, and if you Google, like Google uh, "Shepherd Boy" and, and pull-up images, you'll see like later hosens and, and perfectly groomed sheep and Swiss Alps and cool running streams, and everything's green and beautiful and blue, and it's wonderful. That's like an idealized image of what shepherding is. Shepherding was not something that was idealized. In the ancient world, it was the job no one wanted. It was the job where you looked after stinking animals and had to follow them around and had to take care of them. And David does it excellently. In fact, he's the one that writes Psalm 23 and how the Lord speaks to him through being a shepherd. David takes it so seriously. His job, the day-to-day work, the menial tasks of shepherding. And even when bad things happen, he takes it extremely seriously. I would never do this, but David in the next chapter will say this about uh, when an animal came to attack the sheep. He said, when a lion or a bear... Are you kidding me? When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth, and when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. A sheep? Like In my mind, I'm like, it's a farm animal, you know, we lost one, we still got a couple hundred. I think about in my head, um, the, there's, there's mountain lions here in Manitou. If you go up, uh, we used to live on Canyon Ave. If you go all the way up Canyon Ave to like almost where it dead ends, there's a house on the right that looks like a really cool like stone structure. Uh, and it's almost like two houses, very old. And some guys live there and I was walking by chit-chatting, and they had a bunch of little dogs, uh, like lap dogs. And we were just talking, uh, and we talked about mountain lions, how there were some tracks, and be careful. And they said the other day, this is like a year ago, the other day a mountain lion came and got one of the dogs, like these little tiny lap dogs, and, and ran up the hill. And one of these guys, courageous, brave, crazy, ran up after the hill to the mountain lion with this little dog in the mouth, ran up the hill after the mountain lion. The mountain lion dropped the dog. The dog is... Behind, just a couple scratches, and I was like, "Are you crazy? Like that's nuts!" In my, I mean, I love dogs, but it's just a dog. Like, are you crazy? And here, David, like, I don't know if you know the comparison between a mountain lion and a lion. I didn't, so I googled it. A mountain lion weighs about uh, uh, a hundred something pounds. A full grown adult lion weighs like 480 pounds. Like you don't mess with a lion or a bear and David takes his work, his day-to-day tasks so seriously and with such courage, with such bravery that he is is known for this. Like this is what he does. He protects the flock. And the question I have for you is what are you tending? What am I Tending in our lives that we're taking so seriously that we're that we're so trusting in the Lord that that we can be courageous and brave. Jesse, here's my other theory about um, about why David wasn't there at the Mister Israel pageant show. Um, the, the first theory is that he was literally just forgotten. Like, whoops! I, had, I thought I counted to eight. It wasn't eight. Sorry. Um, uh, that's one theory. Another theory I had was, well, maybe he was—he was really the, the runt, and, and and he wasn't, you know, like surely, you know, Sam is not going to choose this one, but he was faithful enough to watch all the sheep, like while all the brothers were in one place. No one else was found that maybe could be trusted. Like He was faithful enough to be out watching all the flocks and the herds. And David served faithfully. That's another theory that I have as to why David wasn't there. But then they call for him. And he is going to be the one who changes the world. I mean, in his life, uh, he wasn't ever thinking, I, I don't think he was going to change the world. In your life, maybe the Lord has called you to change the world. But Really, what that looks like is changing diapers. The Lord has called you to change the world, but maybe what that looks like is changing like inkjet cartridges on a printer. Maybe the Lord is calling you to change the world, but what that looks like now is like changing the oil. Maybe the Lord is calling to, the the change of the world, but what that looks like in the here and now is a slow faithfulness and obedience in the same direction for a long, long time. I think about David and this light that is within him, the Holy Spirit, and that quote that I, I mentioned of the, uh, the, the the famous actor saying, if the spotlight that shines on you is brighter than the light within you, then it's going to melt you. It's going to destroy you. It's going to lead to train wreck. Whereas David, we find out later, like his heart is one with the Lord's. He, he literally wrote half of the Psalms, maybe a few more that aren't attributed to him. But wow, like. This guy, his prayer life, his anointing—he does change the world. And here we find him in this part of the story, as as a nobody, just faithfully, courageously, and brave, bravely serving his flock and doing what he's supposed to be doing. I think about this um, story. I've heard it a couple times. It's like a folk parable story. It's not a Christian story. But if you if you can't see the cross in this story, then maybe the story is not the problem. It's, it's a good story. It's, it's, it's one that reminds me of, um, of this scene about someone being chosen and all they were doing was being faithful. It's a call and it's an encouragement that, that we should be faithful. It's a story I couldn't find, I Googled it for like 30 seconds and I couldn't find who wrote it or where it came from, so uh, it, it must just be totally unknown. But uh, it's, it's called The Parable of the Seeds in the Kingdom. Maybe you've heard it once upon a time. There was a king, and he had no kids. He had no heirs. And what's he going to do? He needs to find an heir, uh, uh, someone who he can train up and be a king. So he gets all the children together, and he gives them all a seed. He gives them all seeds, different types and things. And he says, go uh, water this seed, take care of it. We'll meet back here in two years, and I will judge and I will decide who will be the next king. So all the kids go out. One poor little boy um, takes takes the seed, puts it in a pot, and every day so faithfully waters it. Uh, waters it not too much. makes sure it's it's the right uh, temperature. Brings it inside and outside. <laughs> takes care of it every day for two years, and nothing ever comes up out of the soil. It's a pot of dirt. And the two years passes and it's the great day, the day to bring your your plants and flowers in to see who's who and to see who has the best plant, to see who potentially is going to be the next king or queen. And all these kids have their pots and there's flowers and there's berries and there's little trees with little fruits on them after two years. And these kids are carrying them around. It's like, wow, look at that one. Look at this one. Look at that. And this little boy has nothing but a pot of dirt, and he shows up to this thing just in tears. And I was thinking about this this week and thinking, that's often how many of us, we look around, we're like, oh, they, they got this, and wow, they're doing so great, and all I have is this pot of dirt. And the king is walking around and and, and looking at these things, and he sees the boy with nothing but a pot of dirt, and the king smiles, the boy's crying, and the king says, why are you crying? He says, well, for every day for the last two years, I've been watering this thing and taking it inside and outside. I've been doing all this work, and nothing ever came up. Look around, like all these other kids. Look what they have. And the king said, before I gave the seeds to all the kids, I boiled them. None of the seeds should should have germinated, all of these kids have the fruit of unfaithfulness, but you have the fruit of faithfulness. And I just thought, this is like the story of David. David is just faithfully serving, and the Lord chooses him, and he is, it's like he's going to be chosen for more faithfulness. Here's point number four it's the Spirit empowers us to live a life after God's own heart. How could we ever live a life looking like God's heart? Well, only by the Lord, only by his spirit inside of us. I think about the, the difference um, theologically, uh, pneumatologically between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It seems like the Lord would come in the Old Testament and and, and be upon certain people and kind of come and go and fill people up and anoint people. And in the New Testament, there's this great promise of Jesus that when he goes, he said, I'm going to send someone who's going to be with you always. He's going to be the comforter. He's going to be the paraclete. He's going to be with you at all times. And that is us. Like This is the, the beautiful thing we get to celebrate in as we focus on the cross, that the Holy Spirit is in us baptizing us, drawing us deeper, giving us gifts of prophecy and tongues and healing and knowing things and words of knowledge. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, filling us up, and we could be a part of this. Look at chapter, uh, back to our uh, text here, verse 13 of chapter 16. It just says this, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers Can you imagine the other brothers? Like, this guy, this kid, he's he's not worth it, but he is. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. He comes powerfully upon us when we are faithful and we are obedient to his ways. I think about knowing we're full of the Spirit, knowing we have this confidence, waking up tomorrow and being ready to shovel some more, full of the Holy Spirit, shovel like nobody else, ready to wake up tomorrow and go to work like nobody else, ready to wake up tomorrow and and take care of kids or whatever it is we do, do it like no one else because the Spirit of the Lord is upon us and we know that this work we're doing is a faithful. Obedient path in a long, long direction. What's interesting here um, is the that David, um, he's anointed king here, and he won't get to be crowned king because there's a weird scenario where Saul is was anointed king. The Lord's anointing and his approval of Saul as king was taken away. Samuel anoints David, so it's the one time in Israel history where there's like. Two kings, like one isn't king, but he's politically the king, and one is the king, but he's not politically the king, and it ends up being this very long, we're not sure how old David is here, but most guesses say that it's going to be another 15 or 20 years before David is crowned king. We're not even going to get to that in this series. This series is First Samuel. The crowning of the, his kingdom uh, for David does not come until 2 Samuel chapter 2 like, David is faithful. He's tending sheep. He gets anointed king. And then it's more faithfulness, more waiting, more just longing. And things get bad for David. Spoiler alert. um, Next week will be a good week. It's the story of David and Goliath. And then things get really, really bad for David. Saul gets jealous of David. Saul, the king, tries to throw his spear at David. David's Pets' heads are falling off. Like, everything is going bad for David. From, like, pretty much Goliath till 2 Samuel, things get really, really bad. And yet, David is faithful. He's obedient for a long time in that same direction. Here's a quote uh, by Eugene Peterson. I'm reading and studying his commentary on this passage. He says this, the process of reading the story, so reading, you know, learning about David and Samuel, we realize that however surely God's promises are enacted, and they're sure God will, uh, God will promise what he promises and he will make good, but they are not accomplished quickly. Isn't that like usually how the Lord works? Like we have this idea of what's going to happen. The Lord has, like, we feel called to this or to that, and yet the slowness of how God. Acts. Brett, Brett uh, Davis here said this week, it's like it's like you know, someone working with their left hand and, and it's awkward and they're right-handed and you say like, you just wanna like come on, just hurry up, Lord, like do it now. You you know, I, I think you you were said you're gonna do this and I feel like you've called me to this, but it's slow and it's awkward and it is like painstakingly you have to be faithful and that is the way things often are. So as we look at the cross, as we consider this table that is set before us, this table, uh, communion is one of uh, faithfulness. It's one where Jesus carried the cross and died on it. And then um, he says that before he dies, he has this meal and he says, do this as a remembrance of me. Do this And you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This is a faithful obedience and even in suffering, faithful obedience to the work of God. Let's take a minute and invite the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? The band can come. Um, If you're serving communion, you can come and and get the table ready. But I never want to talk about the Holy Spirit and not welcome him and talk to him. So if you would bow your heads with me, consider this story, take a moment, slow down. And God, we pray to you now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we know that you are here. It's all about you this morning, our lives. Lord, let them be ones that are focused and pointed to the cross to be reminded of your goodness, to be reminded of your faithfulness, to be reminded Lord, that you gave your life for us, that your obedience uh, to death and your obedience to death on the cross was one that serves us. And so, Lord, we receive your spirit. We want your spirit deep inside of us, your goodness, your mercy, your focused attention inside of us onto what you're doing and your ways. So, Lord, we praise you, Lord. We welcome your work here.
2: it this table this morning that you give us food for the journey.